What? Oh, oh. Shout. One second, please. Hi, and thanks for listening to Designated Driver, the podcast about the work and mystique of Adam Driver and beyond. I'm Liz. I'm Aaliyah. And we have a special guest today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, this is Craig. Craig Barrett. Yeah, so Craig is a listener of the show and a friend. Yeah, big fan, big friend. We we frequently <laughs> talk to Craig directly. And talk about <laughs> Craig. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I'm always super excited when a new episode drops. And <laughs> can't wait to see what you're talking about and whether I'll come up or not. <laughs> <laughs> but you're no um, stranger to being on podcasts. I have done a few, I've been in a few episodes of some podcasts over the, over the last couple of years. It's definitely fun to, to participate instead of just being a listener. You want to give them a little plug? Well, yeah, I was just saying that I was on a podcast, we were chatting before, that I was on a, an episode of the Info Booth Ladies podcast, which is a unofficial podcast of the Minnesota State Fair. And so I'm sure a lot of your listeners are State Fair fans. And if not, even if you're not someone that loves to go to the fair, it's a fun podcast to listen to. We've got a lot of friends that used to live in Minnesota or, you know, have come to visit and either used to come and go to the fair all the time. And it's a fun way for people who aren't here to kind of get that fair excitement any time of year is to check out the Info Booth Ladies podcast. And so I befriended them last year during the fair, or, you know, the fair of 2022. And then they invited me on to do an episode because I'm a competitive scrapbooker. And so they wanted to talk to somebody with experience in competing in the creative activities at the fair. So it was kind of a fun thing to sit down with the three women that host the podcast and talk about my experience. Did you have pages in the fair this year? I did. I did. I There's three categories that you can enter, and I entered all three like I do every year. And sadly, this is the first time in 16 years of competing that I didn't get any ribbons. I kept looking because we always go to the creative activities. We used to go and look for my father-in-law who used to enter his stamp collection and Mm -hmm. always won. Mm -hmm. And then we would go over and look for Craig's. And I kept looking around and thinking, like, there must be some mistake. I was so confused because Craig gets ribbons every year. So I think you were robbed this year. Yeah, I'm still trying to process the whole thing. I think that the original thought was that I had a really, really good year last year at the fair. I ended up with two blue ribbons. And then of the three blue ribbon winners, they choose one that's called the sweepstakes or the best in show. And I won the sweepstakes last year. And so I did have a really good year last year. So the initial thought was that perhaps the judge felt like it was someone else's year to shine. And so I was kind of okay with that, even though I would have been happy with just one fourth place ribbon. You know, it it didn't have to be blue. So that's kind of where I was at with it all. And then when I went to pick them up after the fair, you get a scorecard with the judge's initials on it. And it was a different judge so now i'm in a whole different mind space Mm -hmm. of like wait a minute it's somebody brand new judging and they they didn't like any of my stuff then it felt much more personal i guess you know better than i do but the few times i've entered things in the fair my takeaway when i get those scoring cards is that it's so much about being able to read the categories and read what the judge is looking for right as much as it is like the final product like i can make the best pickles ever Mm -hmm. but if they don't fit that category then I'm not going to get a ribbon and so I just wonder if new judge new interpretation of the rules I don't know I can't yeah I mean the place I'm landing with it all is that because it was a new judge she didn't actually do it herself she and the old judge worked together the old judge was kind of showing her how she's done it in the past and so I'm deciding that the old judge influenced the new judge's decisions and so because the old judge treated me so well last year and in years past i mean this is the third that was the third time i've won the sweepstakes at the fair so i've done really really well and so i'm guessing that the old judge influenced the new judge's decisions because i want to think of a brand new judge coming in would have just been more than wowed with my three entries and at least given me a couple a ribbon or two but i'm sure the old judge was like craig is the star (laughs) every year so but then it's a bummer for everyone else if they never win so That was communicated. Well, after this recording, we should 
pop over two rooms down in my basement because yeah. you know I used to have a photo album store oh, to see if sure. there's any yeah, yeah. supplies you might oh, want. Oh my goodness, yeah. Well, I know how you <laughs> passed along some photo <laughs> corners to me through Aaliyah and I put those to good use. I think they were pink photo corners. I've never seen mm-hmm. pink ones before. I'm still working my way through those. Yeah, I looked for your pages, and maybe it was because it was 100 degrees the day oh, I was sure. there. I, I couldn't find it. Yeah. What were the topics? The three categories every year are vacation, special occasion, and um, heritage are the three. And so vacation is always the easy one because it's where did we go this last year? And we were lucky enough to go to Italy back in October. And so the vacation category, I did our trip to Italy. And then for special occasion, I always do a state fair theme if I can, because at least the old judge really liked state fair themed pages. And so I actually did a page about the info booth ladies because I got a big kick out of meeting them at the fair the year before, which is always the thing with fair pages is that you have to plan what you're going to do next year you have to take all your pictures this year so you know it's like if you don't get what you need at the fair this year then you're not you know there's no way to recreate the fair over the course of the calendar year so you always have to have everything ahead of time so every year at the fair i'm planning next year's state fair pages i've met the info booth ladies at the fair of 2022 and then i was like okay i'm going to totally focus on them this year so that i could do a page about that and then the heritage one was the one that I hadn't really put too much thought into until the last minute, kind of like the term paper thing where it's like, oh, crap, I got to get this done. What am I going to do? And I have a lot of really wonderful old photos of, from my mom and dad when they're, they have really great wedding photos that they have cherished over the years. And my mom has kept a journal since she was in eighth grade. And so she was willing to let me take some of her journal entry about meeting my dad and dating and getting engaged and getting married. And I kind of did a, a page focusing on their dating and their wedding. So it's fun. When we saw that, I was like, wow, Craig really looks like his dad. Oh, people keep saying that. Yeah, yeah, I guess. So much. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's so fun to look at those pictures. Yeah. It's their senior high school photos. About the prizes, though, uh, in the Creative Activities Building, right when you went in one of the doors, there was some State Fair theme Mm -hmm. glass case. Mm And someone had made the giant slide with a thing of french fries going down the slide, a thing of mini donuts, all these state fair things going down the slide. It was amazing. (laughs) And it, it didn't have a ribbon. And the thing that did have a ribbon, I think even a sweepstakes ribbon, was like a coffee mug with like a photo decoupaged. Mm-hmm. onto it that's like a five minute thing and this is like a one-year project of this right. slide so <laughs> i didn't think that's that deserved I mean. it not, yeah it's kind of random or payola you really right. need might be payola because i got kind of nasty comment that pickles mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. they said that i had because you have to submit your recipe with the pickles they said that i didn't process it for enough time and i was like i think i but they have very specific if it's a dill green bean dilly bean like it has to be processed for xyz number of minutes which it doesn't they're just very particular like my father-in-law used to win the sweepstakes every year for his and also it's about knowing which category you know like not very many people enter their stamp collections right so if you do a good enough job, you're gonna right. win. Not yeah. he made some really beautiful displays. For but. sure, but some categories it, there only are five people that enter, and so if they give away first through fourth, then four out of the five entries are gonna go away with the ribbon. Whereas the chocolate chip cookie category, they get hundreds of entries, and so only four people are gonna get a ribbon. Yeah, there's a whole science to studying. You can look at all the results online, and they show each category how many competitors there were in each category. And so I think there's people that. Within their field, if they're knitters, they figure out that, like, oh, everybody makes mittens, but a lot of people don't make a wrap. So I'll enter the wrap category, and maybe I'll have a better chance of getting a ribbon. So there's a whole lot of that. And, I mean, I've always talked about looking into other stuff because collections, I mean, I'm a letter carrier, so stamps are a big thing. And I use a lot of stamps in my scrapbooking stuff, but I've never ventured into another category they do postcard is another postcards is another mm-hmm. one that's a big mark has done my father-in-law's yeah, done postcards too do, um, coin collecting all that kind of stuff and those are all scrapbooking along with all the stamps coins and postcards are all a part of what they call the collections categories and it is the same as far as i understand it it's one person who judges all of the collections 
And so it's kind of interesting because I think the when you're talking about like canning, the judges for that, they're all I mean, not to, I'm not positive, but they're all like wonderful women who were home ec yes. majors at the U back in, you know, the 70s. And now they're volunteer. Well, they volunteer and they get paid, but they're judging that stuff. They want to show off their knowledge. And so totally there's something about like, OK, we're going we're looking at your recipe and we're going to be really critical of it, not even basing it on the taste of your dilly beans, right. but basing it on the fact that your recipe doesn't seem yes. to fit their standards. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It is an art. I, I do sometimes think about entering. I think I've entered pickles twice and I had cinnamon rolls. I feel still that I have a really good, I haven't made it ever, <laughs> ever since I entered and I didn't get like, again, they weren't very kind i was like why am i doing this is stupid but it is fun to go i do like the experience of dropping it off like you get to see the fairgrounds ahead of time pristine and it's fun to see everyone with their yeah item people are still like out there painting the Mm -hmm. you know benches and stuff Uh, yeah between going to the fair to drop your stuff off then going to the fair as many times as you can and then going to pick your stuff up it's always like the wednesday and thursday after labor day that you go pick stuff up and it is like you know, the air has changed. It's always cooler and things are being taken apart and there still is some garbage all around. They haven't gotten everything cleaned up again. And so it is like a circle of life. It's like, okay, we've gone <laughs> through this whole, every year I go through the whole same. It's like Brigadoon. It is. Well, yeah, people say that so much and it really is yeah. true. I mean, you know, I think there's a really awesome video out there of the fairgrounds in the winter time that really is just like, oh, it's so wild to think about that this place is here all year round but it really only is those 12 days that it becomes something. Which makes me think we really need to come up with a movie with Adam Driver and Oscar Isaac. I don't know, maybe they're both stamp-collecting competitors or something. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know whether or not that's the right way to bring it all together. That's a good transition. <laughs> yeah, let's transition into, okay, let's get to the topic. Well, let's start with Adam Driver news. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you truthfully right at the top, I watched the movie but i haven't really thought about it since i watched it however i have been thinking about adam driver news because the venice film festival just wrapped up he was there it was a whole thing was he gonna go was he not gonna go because of the sag strike right but because the film he was in was an independent film he's in a movie about it's just called ferrari i think mm-hmm. oh sure because it's an independent, smaller film, he could go without breaking the strike. So he went. Mm-hmm. And he, I was wondering about yeah. that, why it was, quote, an exemption. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's mm-hmm. why. And one of his quotes was something to the effect of, I am in this independent movie and they were able to pay me what I asked for. So why can't the Netflixes of the world do the same thing? Mm-hmm. So we'll see what that means. But he was making the rounds. We've talked about how much we think he loves going to Italy and that maybe he's choosing all of his film projects because he loves Italy. But he looked great. You know, he's wearing his tux. He looked happy. There's one little clip of him signing photographs where he winks at someone. Have you seen that one? No. Mm -hmm. Then there was the go fuck yourself entry about him that you sent What? No, you sent oh. this to me. Do you, you know this is like a fashion? I guy. love Go Fug Yourself. Yeah, I thought. I don't remember it. Okay, well, let me see if I can refresh your memory. It was some pictures of Adam Driver from Venice. And in one, he had like a linen shirt on that was oh, really rumpy. Yes, it was really wrinkled. And the, who's the writer of Go it's Fug Heather Yourself? Heather and someone else. They said. The linen is really not working for him or something like that. And then they showed him in like the tux type of thing he always wears. And I think they said something to the effect of it always looks great, but we would kind of love it if he became more like of a fashionista. Yeah, that's never going to happen. No. (laughs) So my other Adam Driver news is that I, as you both know, the only reason I have Twitter is to see what Adam Driver is doing. <laughs> slash That's X. the best reason. Yeah. I yeah. appreciate that. So Raylo fan fiction has been blowing up lately. Oh. And I think it's because I was doing a little research before this. There's a, I'm sure your husband would know this, mm-hmm. but there's a new Star Wars spinoff where Ray is scheduled to make an appearance. And oh. so everybody's losing their minds because they want... Mm-hmm. Kylo Ren to come back too. Come back to life 
or and is somehow it a, yeah. appear. And so I swear my feed is full of weird Raylo pictures and Raylo things. It's been pretty like quiet in that department, but it's back. People cannot get enough of Raylo. People are using AI like there's oh, no sure. tomorrow. Oh, like yeah. no. <laughs> and the way people cut real. things together sometimes, too, you know, they cut together new film sequences where it looks like oh. they are doing all <laughs> kinds of stuff. And it's fascinating, but yeah. super weird. People are creative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so today we're talking about, is there any other Adam Driver news? I think that pretty much covers it. But we will have another Adam Driver movie to talk about in the near future. Do you know mm-hmm. when the movie comes out? Ferrari? I don't. I don't. Coming soon, mm-hmm. but today we're going to talk about an Oscar Isaac movie. Yes. <laughs> Oscar Isaac is in the Adam Driver universe, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep, they both went to Juilliard. I think Oscar Isaac is younger than Adam Driver. They did not overlap, but they're like a year apart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who's older. Well, age-wise, I think Oscar, is, he's 44. Yeah, okay, But whether they've maybe gone to school, I mean, you know, they've necessarily, yeah, they might have overlapped. Yeah. In their program. I'm not yeah. Sure. I didn't, didn't look up. I don't think they did. Okay. But anyway, they both went to Juilliard mm-hmm. and they seem to love each other. Mm-hmm. They've been in the Star Wars franchise together mm-hmm. and they were also in Lewin Davis. Yeah. What mm-hmm. is it called? The Eyes of in, Lewin? Inside Lewin, Lewin Davis. Davis. Yeah. They were inside Lewin Davis together. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of the genesis of this conversation and i was gonna say i've been a a fan from the beginning of of your podcast and i i appreciate adam driver but he's not doesn't hold the same place in my world that i think he does for the two of you and ever since starting listening to your podcast i've always said in my mind like oh i feel like oscar isaac is my equivalent that that's somebody that's your guy i can appreciate how talented he is and he also has made quite a few films that I haven't seen. And I think that was, you know, for you guys kind of going backwards and checking out a lot of Adam Driver's work that you had never gotten a chance to focus on. And so I kind of figured out that he's kind of that same person for me. Or, you know, I, when I was looking at his films, I realized I've only seen, I think I've only seen maybe a half a dozen of them. And I think he's probably made, you know, at least 25 or so. Similar to Adam Driver, you know, I think he had that early part of his career where he was in a lot of stuff, either stuff that didn't go anywhere or just smaller parts in, in other movies that were bigger than he was. I've always been chit-chatting with you, thinking like, oh, well, if you ever decide to do an Oscar Isaac version of the podcast, I would totally be on board. And so you guys were gracious enough to invite me here today. And I went through his list of films and I picked out four movies of his that I hadn't seen that I thought might be a good opportunity to kind of take a look at his work and we agreed on the movie life itself which i didn't know anything about other than i saw that it was a a movie of his that i hadn't seen and it was somewhat recent and i think he had i thought he had a pretty good sized role in it so i thought it'd be something for us to check out and to talk about and we haven't at all acknowledged what we thought of it at all yet part of me really wants to apologize because i (laughs) (laughs) well before we get to life Life itself. That was a little <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> what are your favorite Oscar Isaac movies? His stuff, like I said, I haven't seen. I mean, obviously, it's all three Star Wars movies, and I have a very, well, not, not a very complicated relationship to Star Wars other than I grew up on the original three and kind of feel like everything since then has been a waste of my time. But also, your husband loves Star Wars. Well, and he has I a much more like complicated a... relationship because, I mean, over this past year or more, he's officially broken up with Star Wars. And so Whoa. I hope it's okay that I'm sharing that. I today. didn't know that. I think that because it's become such a whole, all the different series and all of that, I think it's watered down the property. I mean, it's not for me to mm-hmm. explain the breakup. But yeah, it's kind of no longer a thing in our house. And I'm always a bit surprised when there is some kind of big Star Wars news. And I, over the years, I'm used to like, okay, well, Pete will explain that to me when I get home kind of a thing. And he's not focused on it at all in that way anymore. So much so that the more recent series, Andor, I don't know if you guys watched Andor or not. I haven't watched it. I know of it. He had already broken up with Star Wars before Andor and then multiple friends kept saying like, Oh Pete, what do you think of it? You know, they were so excited to talk to him about it because 
it was doing something different than what the other property or the other things that, that they were producing. And, you know, I listened to a lot of podcasts and a lot of the people that I appreciate were saying how wonderful it was. And so I went on my own and watched Andor by myself and it was blowing my mind because it was like, oh my gosh, this is totally what Pete has wanted from the Star Wars universe. It's all he's ever talked about is why don't they do this kind of a thing? And here they are, they were doing it. And yet we couldn't talk about it because he was broken up and he wasn't going to watch it. And he still is? He has watched it now. Oh, okay. I mean, basically okay. I was like, okay, it's driving me crazy to not be able to talk about this thing. And I'm the last thing in the world I ever want to do is have a conversation about a Marvel movie and Star Wars isn't quite that level of disgust in my world. But yeah, so to suddenly just have this crazy mind thing of like, oh my gosh, you know, in each episode, it's a really good, I mean, yeah, it really is a very well done thing. I mean, I think partially because it's, it takes place in a, in more of a prequel universe, but anywho, it doesn't involve any of the real main characters that we all associate with Star Wars. It kind of goes back and, and, and does something different. Anywho, just to put a plug in for that. So can we play the reunited song for <laughs> Pete and Star Wars? Like, well, I mean, he... but I don't think, I mean, he, he appreciated that and he really enjoyed it, but I don't think he's at all back. I mean, th- what you mentioning that there's going to be some kind of a Ray thing that they're working on, like, that's news yeah. to me. And a what I'd, thing? I'd be... That Ray is going to appear oh, in right. some right. spinoff. And I'd be, I guess I would be curious whether that's even on Pete's radar or not, just because I don't think he's... Radar? Get it? <laughs> but so, but speaking of Oscar, and so like I said, I've seen the three Star Wars movies that he's in, you know, and I think it's the kind of thing where I've got generally negative mixed feelings towards the three that he is in. But as far as the fact that he's in them, I mean, in the same way that he's maybe... darling. Oh, my goodness. No, Poe is, I mean, in my mind, it's the best character of that trilogy. Maybe he could take his shirt off more in the Star Wars universe. But <laughs> other than that, I think he's doing some good work in in a in a bad universe. He would be less pale than the <laughs> Kylo Ren shirt off scene. <laughs> it's very pale. <laughs> and then other movies, like I said, I I haven't seen too much of his stuff. I know I'm definitely inside Lewin Davis back when that was first out. And then there's a movie called At Eternity's Gate that's I'm totally blanking on the artist, the painter. Is it Monet? But he plays a friend in that movie. And he's a contemporary of the artist in At Eternity's Gate. And then the only other one, well, the only other two were Ex Machina. I don't know if you guys saw that one or not, but Mm-mm. that was a really good one. It was kind of a futuristic world. You're like a scary European actor. Like well, who has a... It's an Irish guy. Oh. He's actually in the Star Wars world. Ewan McGregor? No, a younger... He's Scottish. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> what, Irish? Okay. <laughs> he could be Scottish too. I might not be getting it right. But it's a red-headed Irish. guy. He's, I mean, he had a year there where he was in everything. Including yes, he's yes, he's in Star Wars. I know who you mean. Yeah, yeah. He was in... He was in an HBO show called Run or Ran. Okay, yeah. It's oh, what's his uh, name? Son. Dorn Hall Gleason. Yeah, yeah we've talked about him Brandon before. Gle- Brandon Gleason's son, I think. I think he's ugly. Don Hall Gleason. Don Hall. Yeah, I yeah. think his name isn't Dom- like pronounced. Hall- Domnall. He's nice. Irish. You're right. Irish. Yeah. There you go. I think he can go both ways. He can play ugly and pretty. He plays depending yeah, on the Kylo's makeup. Like he's a villain. Leany. He's generally cast in that kind of a role. Whereas I think in Ex Machina, he's more of a protagonist to Oscar Isaac's antagonist. And then the only other one is the movie that we just watched. Oh no, Dune. Dune. He's in Dune of course. Oh, my husband loved that. Yeah, and there's a sequel coming out so we can get more, well, spoilers but I'm not sure how much his character will be in the second movie. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Noted. Whatever that means. So we watched Life Itself. It's from 2018, so it's from Before Times. Before the pandemic, it was sort of a different world. Do you want to do a recap? (laughs) Sure, I'll try to do a recap. Feel free to chime in. Okay, so this movie's about a couple. Oscar Isaac is the guy in the couple, Mm -hmm. and he's very much in love with her forever in an almost stalkery kind of way. But they eventually get married and get pregnant, and the wife is Olivia Wilde. Mm -hmm. She is wearing a ridiculous pregnancy pillow. I know, it was ridiculous. <laughs> I couldn't with that. Yeah. It was so, so fake. And then she gets hit by a bus. Yep. 
and dies. And so then Oscar Isaac's character, what's his character's name? Will. Will. He has a mental breakdown and he kills himself. And then it goes through their backstory. Halfway through it like flips to there was a boy in the bus Mm -hmm. and he witnesses this and it goes to his story Mm -hmm. in Spain. Mm-hmm. Rodrigo. Rodrigo, mm-hmm. yeah, Rigo. And then it loops it all together because when Abby died, the baby didn't die mm-hmm. and is a girl. When she grows up and the boy grows up, they meet and fall in love and then have kids and have a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. So it's like bringing these stories together. It's about the joy and pain of life which a lot of great movies are about but this is one that's kind of supposed to be about that but it just like didn't quite make it there and it's sort of unintentionally funny in parts Mm -hmm. i did notice because i kept having to stop and start i was watching it during the day yesterday Mm -hmm. so when you pause it has little like tags under the description and it was like love romance sad sad campy (laughs) The last one was campy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It could take on a new life and unintentional, totally unintentionally what it was about. I read the Wikipedia page and there was a big bidding war with who was going to distribute this movie. And it was like that Adam Driver movie that I can never remember the name of, That the one that we don't have an episode on because the sound failed. But also we don't like the movie. And what's it called? It's like when you were out or... When I was, I yeah, this is where I yeah. leave you. Yeah. So it reminded me of that movie because there's a really good cast. Killer cast. Huge names. Oh my God. But like, yeah, you've never. a person. You've never heard of it. And you're like, why? Yeah. And now you know why. Horribly written. The same guy who wrote it directed it. So he must have been like an up and comer and then made this possibly career ending movie. I don't know. Or maybe he's gone on to. So no, you know, the writer director is Dan Fogelman, okay, who's the person, the creator behind This Is Us, the TV show. Oh, which I think explains like when I put this on the list of four possible movies, I didn't really know anything about it. And then once you guys said let's do that one, I just went on to watch the trailer, you know, just to get a sense of what it was. And it says on that, you know, from the creator of This Is Us. And so then right away I was like, oh, okay, this is gonna be risky. I don't know whether or not either of you are. Are or were I've never seen it. People. No, my husband lives to make or... fun of it. Yeah, I. I've um, never watched it though. I made it through. I don't know if it was the first season and into the second season. My goal was again. I don't think it's a spoiler for a show that's now concluded, but it's pretty clear from early on, on the show that the father character has died. It's a show that jumps back and forth in time, and so you see him and his wife when they first are pregnant with their kids. They have twins. And then you also see time in the future, and it's clear that the husband is no longer there, and it's not quite clear how and when he died or what exactly happened. But there's all these constant allusions to the fact there having been some kind of a horrible fire. So we kind of are led to think that maybe he died in the fire, but we're not really sure. I got roped in enough to the program to the idea that I'm going to stick around to, until they at least finally get to the point of telling us how did he actually die? Didn't he die because it was like a crock pot explosion or something? And that's the thing something? of it is. Well, wasn't Instapot? It was Or no, a pressure no, cooker? No, no, because this was, well, yeah, you know, it was a crock pot. And, a crock I mean, pot, okay. And the thing of it, and this is my take on it. <laughs> Unintentionally funny the again. The fact that I've never gotten a chance to talk to Joel about this if he lives to make fun of it, because I definitely have. Oh, we've never watched an episode. Oh, he sure, just, just Anytime on... something dramatic happens on TV, he's like, this, this is us. <laughs> and I... Yeah, yeah, that's a constant refrain in our house yeah. as well. But the whole thing of it is that when the couple was younger and their kids were, I think the kids must have been middle school or maybe beginning of high school age, there's an older couple that lives next door or in the neighborhood and one of them passes away. And so when they're helping them clean out the garage, I think it's the wife that survives. She gives them her old crock pot. It's a faulty crock pot. I think all this is taking place in maybe it's the 80s. But it's the crock pot is that it's totally that crock pot that your mom had, you know, like the hot crock mm-hmm. pot that you grew yeah, up with. Yeah, it was with. like green. 
and it has a bad wire on you know the wire is frayed or something and so they start using it do they close up on the wire ever do they well so i mean yeah i mean early like i mean it's more the crock pot is just do they like tease you where there are episodes where they're using the crock pot but nothing happens i mean the crock pot is ever present in the way that just you know whatever like any kitchen scene it's yeah well it's like like they're cooking something with the crock you know dinner's on or dinner's going to be ready and do they ever say things like thank god we got this crock pot and you're like, why are ready? you talking about the crockpot? There's something there. Like if there's a gun well, yeah, in, in no, a I scene, know. then it's the like, gun's yeah, going to go yeah. off later. No, it's completely that kind of a situation. The crock pot, but though. the whole thing of it is, is that because This Is Us was on the rise as NBC's big new hit, they, at some point, and I mean, this is where somebody really needs to do maybe a whole podcast investigation about the payola that was going on, because This Is Us had worked out that it was going to have mm-hmm. a big episode to air after the Super Bowl that year, which is, you know, literally the definition of primetime television. And so it was going to be an hour. I mean, it's always an hour, but it was going to be a special episode of This Is Us following the Super Bowl. And as they teased it up, it was like, this is going to be the episode where we find out. Are you what eating happened? your hotel dip for the Super Bowl in a crock pot? It's the one time yeah, of year nacho, that every yeah. household in the country is putting their crock pot or multiple <laughs> crock pots cheese. to use. And multiple crock pots. And how many of us either, you know, you either have, you know, you've got a $25 crock pot from Target when you first moved out on your own, or you have your parents', your parents old crock pot, or, or your aunt, you inherited your aunt's old crock pot. And so no what, one has ever bought a new crock pot in the history of the world until the episode oh. aired, because obviously what we all needed to do is we needed to get rid of that crock pot and, yes. go and buy a new crock pot. So, so big crock pot, big crock pot was behind this plan so that we would all get <laughs> every single one of us. We have a, a letter. Yeah, I have two crock pots. I have three. And what's them. the combined age? <laughs> I love when people come by like, this team has over 150 years of experience. It's like, well, sort of. But so your crackbots have over 150 years of experience, at least, I'm sure. I would think so. Or are they new? I'm pretty sure the, at least one of our crackpots is like 60 years old. Yeah. Also, is this like, does it coincide when Instant Pot was getting popular? That's a good question. I bet. It and Crockpot was like, time. "What are we gonna do? We need a show. We need Super Bowl involved." Right. Or Instant Pot was behind the whole thing to make us all throw out our Crockpots yeah. and get an Instant Pot. This is oh a huge conspiracy. See, I think there really is a multiple episode podcast so, investigation. Yeah. Is that what happened though? Did he die? He died because <laughs> no. of the Crockpot. So this is what makes it all the more worse. Was is he that... is like his face by the Crockpot and <laughs> exploded cheese into his face and then he he died from the burns or. <laughs> or like maybe he got a stomach bug because the crock pot wasn't holding the chili at the right temperature. Oh, I know it's kind of weird food we should be overnight. Television writers and movie writers and not leave it to Dan Fogelberg to come up with the plot because basically they plugged it in or they forgot to unplug it. I think that was what like after whatever they whatever they used it for, they left it plugged in and then the wiring sparked and overnight while they were sleeping, the house caught on fire. That was the whole thing. Was that the well? The actor who plays the father is Jesse from Gilmore Girls. It's Milo Ventimiglia. Exactly, he plays the father, and so he safely rescues all of his family from the burning house, and then he was going to go try to save the crackpot. Well, <laughs> the dog. Yeah, <laughs> same idea. And then he goes back in to get the dog. And he manages to save the dog. So now he's rescued his whole family and the pet, not the crockpot. And then everything's fine. What else was he going to save? Had, but he had some smoke immolation or something, you know, something where they, so they, oh, all, they all went to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Was he like? <laughs> but it wasn't, I mean, no, no, because I think the thing of it is, I think he had some kind of weird heart condition. So it was like a, it was a fake out where it was like. We've been led to believe that, like, he died in this horrible fire. And then it's like, no, there's a whole multiple scenes of them at the hospital and oh, everyone hugging. And it's so glad that we're all alive. Don't worry about the house. Don't worry about the crock pot. We can get a new one. Everything seems fine. And then something weird happens. And, like, he, I don't know if it's a heart attack. Like, he's like, da, da, da. And, and I don't remember now if it's like, oh, he's had this condition all along. And we just never died. And it was one of those kind of situations where it's like, okay, so... He may well have dropped dead the same night, even if the house hadn't burned down because of the crockpot. I mean, which leads me to... See, the Grim the Reaper min- was coming to get him one way or the Regardless. other. Regardless. And it's the whole thing when where... When your time is up? It leads me to believe that 
you know, it's clear to me that Dan Fogelman loves to create manipulatively sad situations. About parents dying. About parents dying, yeah. Because the mom died, Abby died, and then Rigo's mom died of cancer, and she seemed to have cancer for a very long time. Also, the grandma died. Jean Smart, little cameo That's there. Right. I love Jean too. Smart. Yeah, so happy to see her. I know. I and wish there'd been more of her. I know. Like more Mandy, Jean Smart. Mandy, Mandy Patinkin was the grandpa. Him. Yeah. And they had like an extremely happy family. They were like mm-hmm. so happy. It was just a lot of things about the movie were just over the top. And also, I thought it was kind of interesting how they portray falling in love and happy love relationships which involves a lot of like close embraces but laughing at the top of your you know (laughs) laughing as hard as you can like right into the person's face and also like a lot of carrying around in the that's true there was a lot of carrying that's kind of adam driver-esque getting carried around but i don't know have you ever been just so you're snuggling in bed with someone and you're just laughing like so hard (laughs) (laughs) there was always like no sound it would just be music Mm -hmm. but you could see like their mouths open as wide as they could be laughing so hard and that's how you know they're in love and then when the relationship starts to go bad one of them turns into an alcoholic banging Mm -hmm. around Mm -hmm. just the tropes of like falling in love and like falling out of love Mm -hmm. were really on display but Dan Fogelman, I wonder what his parent situation is. Did he have a pa- lose a parent at a young age? It's really I, about that. Yeah, I I feel like what that little I read about him, I think he seemed to have a pretty content upbringing. I don't think that there was anything to that. I mean, at least from his own personal experience, at least from what I, I mean, again, I didn't do a deep dive on him. But yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, that's the theme of both This Is Us and this film. I mean, I felt like, you know, we find out early on that, Abby, the wife's parents, were also killed right, in right, a car right. accident. I mean, I think there are at least a dozen parents who die in this yeah, movie. Yeah, and then <laughs> Oscar Isaac dies, too. Yeah. He's the dad. Right, and the big spoiler, but we find out at the end that the story that we've been listening to is being narrated by the granddaughters. So the Rigo from Spain and Dylan, the daughter of Oscar and, and Olivia Wilde, they are a couple and that they have kids and one of their kids is Elena who's the author of a book called Life Itself and she seems to be at a reading and we realize that what we've been hearing she's been the, the voice of the narrator throughout the whole thing and we find out that and I was waiting but well at what point are we going to find out how Dylan and Rico die you know I mean like the fact that those characters seem to <laughs> they survive. have a baby then like <laughs> Then they die. At that point, it doesn't seem like there should be any living parents or grandparents in the story. And there are just like a lot of other moments. I got so confused. Again, I was watching it in the middle of the day. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I feel like I don't focus very well on movies when I'm watching them during the day. And I had to stop. Like I had to get shut lunch. And then I had to like do, you know, so Mm -hmm. I was watching it in little bits. But at the beginning, I was like, why is Samuel Jackson in this? I got so That was random. Yeah. I was so. Another huge name. I know. Mm -hmm. And just like a throwaway plot line at the beginning where Mm -hmm. Oscar Isaac's character is writing a screenplay Mm -hmm. and then he gives up on it. But he's writing it in the voice of Samuel Jackson. And I Mm -hmm. like I was halfway through the movie before I even understood Mm -hmm. that like all those things Mm -hmm. didn't happen. Right. Yeah, the opening is very, I mean, again, manipulative is the only thing I can keep thinking about this movie. It's it's very manipulative in that it opens with Samuel Jackson doing a voiceover, and we see that Oscar Isaac is in, he's walking down the street with Annette Benning, and then she gets hit by a bus. Right. And then we realize, like, oh, we're seeing the screenplay that he's writing, kind of a thing. And early on... We learn this idea, Abby's working on her thesis, and we, this whole idea of what it, what it means to be an unreliable narrator. So they come up with that that's a theme throughout the whole book, and to the point where her big realization is that life itself is an unreliable narrator, which is where we get the title of the film. And there's a lot of wonderful works of fiction, literature, film, that deal with what it is to be an unreliable narrator, and I think it's, a, it's something that can be used very effectively and then there's also just bad writing, which I think is what is going on here. <laughs> Question about that scene with Annette Benning, who's also Oscar Isaac's therapist. Mm-hmm. So she was smoking, mm-hmm. and he was standing next to her. 
on a sidewalk. Mm -hmm. And then he's like staring at her. So she takes a few steps out into the street and he says, I'm a big fan. Mm -hmm. Did he mean of smoking? I see and then she gets when hit he by was staring at her, I was like, he's going to tell her to stop smoking. Like she's smoking yeah. and like messing up his air. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would. That's what I thought that was. I don't know what that was. Yeah. I, I mean, I that. think it was all just a head fake at the beginning yeah. just to get us really confused about who's who and what's going on. And then that then led to Oscar Isaac or Will sitting in the coffee shop working on the screenplay and shutting his computer. And so we're like, okay, everything that we just saw isn't real. And then we start to get the real story, even though it takes quite a bit of time to figure all of that out. And I think that like any movie that opens with that kind of stuff, because of the, the bus accident, the not real accident of Annette Benning's character getting hit by the bus, now anything that is going to happen in this movie might not be real you know i mean it introduces mm -hmm. that whole element to it and and then and then just the amount of violence i mean i just feel like there's way too much violence way too early on in the movie and so then it is just when you've already had within the first 20 minutes there's four characters that have all been died either being hit by a bus or in a car accident and then it's just that and thing suicide where like, it's like and, and watching oh exactly the fifth one was suicide and so then it's like well anything at this point can happen you know i don't like a scary movie but i can enjoy what you know what it is to watch a scary movie this kind of a movie where it's like if anyone ever gets into a car you know you're just waiting for them to get t-boned yeah, you know that stress, kind of that yes, element yeah. and i feel like he hit it so hard at the front end of the movie that then it's just like okay i'm just not going to invest myself in any of these people because who knows what's going to happen i mean and even though i imagine that gene smart's character just died a natural death it still is like why are you killing off, you know, these wonderful actors? I mean, to me, Pete and I, Pete watched it with me and we talked afterwards. And to me, they're like, I think there could have been a decent movie about this couple where the wife had a pretty tragic childhood and upbringing and da 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 And she brings that to their relationship. And that over the course of them being together and starting a family and raising their family and interacting with his parents, the original tragedy of her life continues to play a role in how she wants to raise the kids and her fear about car accidents and you know like there's a beautiful story there that would have involved oscar isaac being in the movie a lot more as well but i mean like that to me was maybe what the story could have been and you could have still had the second spain story and, and as far as like how families come together and that kind of a thing but instead it was just this like whole i mean you knew the minute in the first half of the movie, we see up to the point that Dylan, the daughter, turns 21, and then it jumps to the whole Spain story. But at the moment before it jumps, Dylan, at 21, is sitting on a bench, and a bus pulls up, whether it's in her head or whatever. But the little boy that we saw who witnessed the accident is on the bus. So you knew right from then, it's like, well, this whole story is going to end with the two of them getting together. Yeah, even though no, he kind of caused her death, day. because he... Rigo, as a kid, walked up to the bus driver and said something, distracted and the driver. bus driver looked distracted away. Distracted driver. And then that's when... <laughs> oh, distracted driver. Yeah. Did they ever figure out, Dylan and Rigo, that he was kind of responsible for her mom's death? Yeah. They that never, was I mean, a little it was never awkward. Acknowledged. I mean, there's an element of, like, you have to think that at some point they would have pieced it together. Yeah. I mean, it was just heavy-handed so abby's parents died in a car accident but it wasn't just that they died but what they said and this is grim but that the mm -hmm. parents died the dad was decapitated mm -hmm. and trapped then she the was trapped in the car hour. for an hour it's that's sad like already Mansfield, by oh, the way that yeah. she was decapitated, decapitated by a steering column with her daughter in the car mariska hargitay FYI. Really? Oh, wow. oh like that was the taken top of her me. head was sheared off. Something really bad. awful happened. Yeah. yeah. So that's where Dan got it from. I bet. Probably. Dan's a little bit of a thief. Yeah. I have an example. They did a flashback to before Abby's parents died, and they showed them as a happy family around mm -hmm. the kitchen table. And the dad is like, You know, I have a little bit of a drinking problem and drinks orange juice and spills it. Yep. Like airplane. airplane. That's from airplane. <laughs> you can't just steal it, steal the joke. And Maybe he didn't know it because sometimes, like, that's a pretty old movie. So maybe Dan's dad would make that Say joke. That, sometimes yeah. people don't know it's from a movie, right. like, if they're parents. But, I mean, as they were making this movie, in the movie business, people would have seen Airplane. Mm -hmm. 
I was okay with that though, because that's a total dad joke that a dad sure. like my dad would totally. I do thought that, that was right. weird. That was a joke in the movie that was just lifted from another movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had a problem with that. Here's another thing. <laughs> another moment. So Antonio Banderas is in the movie. Oh, right, right, and right. he is H O T in it. You like Oh my his god, voice he's is really like low. a handsome soap opera bad guy. Mm-hmm. He was so handsome. Mm-hmm. And I the first time I you saw like him, him huh? I thought he was Mandy Patinkin. And oh, I was like, why is he in Spain oh, now? Princess. And then I kept thinking about Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride, Mandy Patinkin's character in The Princess oh, Bride. Oh, whenever this comes up, I'm like, I can't remember The Princess oh, Bride. God, I know. I, <laughs> apparently it's That's your theme is The Princess oh, Bride. Yeah. And I'm always like, I don't know. I need to watch it. The kids don't want to watch it. Why? I, you so know, good. Antonio Banderas has aged well, though, because his oh, when he was young, so he had handsome. the long hair. And I like him better as an old no, man. He figures into the story because Rigo's parents are Juan, no, Javier, Javier and, and Isabel. Isabel. I like Javier. He was probably my favorite character. I in the felt movie. that Javier, if Adam Driver had a role in this movie, he would have sure, been yeah. perfect. So he's working picking olives. And another weird thing about this <laughs> on this olive plantation in Spain mm-hmm. or olive farm or whatever okay so they're picking olives and then they show people just like eating olives but i didn't know you could just eat an olive off a tree i don't Raw. think they were Can eating you? them i think they were like Maybe oh, smelling yeah. them and like testing. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think you can eat them raw no, off a no. tree. Yeah, they're bitter. Too bitter. So Javier, he picks the olives by hand instead of like shaking them off right. the tree. Right. And so the owner of the, I don't like to use the word plantation, but what should I call it? Olive farm. Of the olive I farm. I thought it was like an orchard. Or like oh, bigger than, right? Aren't good. olives fruits? <laughs> yeah, trees. The landowner is Antonio Banderas, mm-hmm. and he brings in Javier because he's noticed him. And like mm-hmm. he wants to be friends with him. Mm-hmm. And then he does this, he tells the story about his life in a real like energy vampire way mm-hmm. where you're just going on and on and on and on. Yep. And he's trying to promote Javier, yep. kind of take him almost as a business partner and as a friend. And Javier is like not having, and he's like, I'll work for you, but we're not going to be friends. No way. Mm-hmm. And then Antonio Banderas is like, didn't that make you like me? And I, and I was like, you have no wonder you don't have any friends. Like, if you want to make friends with someone, wouldn't you be like, hey, so where did you grow up? I thought that was an unintentionally funny scene. Mm-hmm. He was just going on. And I could just think energy vampire, energy vampire. That's all I could think. I was thinking, and you I were really just like, like his I like hair him. and yeah. I really like his clothes. Yeah. And I really wish I was drinking manzanilla with mm-hmm. him. Oh, you did and like I him. I wish that I was in that beautiful house. Mm-hmm. What would you do if someone like gave you this big spiel, this big story? I would fall for it if You're it was into- Antonio okay. Banderas. Mm-hmm. I would be like, he has really lived a life. Mm-hmm. Like things have been hard for mm-hmm. him and he's overcome. His mm-hmm. voice is really low. It's like a voiceover voice. Yeah, you he's know, like, like a soap in opera a world villain where yeah. blah, blah, blah. To me, it's like, what is going on here? There were workers picking olives, and then he pulls up in a a sports car with his sunglasses and clearly is someone important or wealthy. And then he takes Javier inside and tells him this incredibly long story about himself. And then basically is like, I've been watching you, and you are the olive whisperer, and so (laughs) I've chosen you to take over and be in charge here, as well as live in this house is that where antonio lived but now he's moving like you know what is this house kind of a thing just out of the blue i'm choosing you to be the one to be in charge and then like you said that javier is kind of like not interested i mean not interested in being close to you but sure i'll i'll take your house and then we find out that he's got this beautiful young girlfriend at the time i don't know if they were married or whatever and then it just becomes this whole Antonio is hot for Javier's wife. And it becomes this whole weird convoluted situation that leads Javier to drink. And I think that it's unclear whether Antonio Banderas is trying to be a wonderful, benevolent uncle to mm-hmm. the little boy. Or he's really just trying to figure out how to 
steal the wipe away. Was he a hero or a villain? <laughs> He's a villain in That's my what, mind. That's oh, so yeah. creepy. You hire a guy so he has to work for you. Then when he's gone, you go in and you're like wooing his wife and son because mm-hmm. you're such a weirdo yeah. that you don't have your own family. Not to say that anyone without a family is necessarily a weirdo, but this guy was. Right. <laughs> he didn't yeah. have a lot of social yeah. skills. And then that's so mean, separating Javier from his son. Well, Javier kind of did that for himself, right. too. I like, guess. Right. I did. I don't know why sometimes I sympathize when I was with wa- Javier. I did, too. But sometimes when I was watching it, I was like, if this was the other way around and women were doing this, they would be like, turns out you can't always live on your principles. Like, your principle is that you're not going to take anything from anyone. But in reality, you live in a world where you need money. So you've got to figure out a way to make peace with it instead of drinking and becoming a mechanic and leaving your wife alone. Yeah. And he turned down the raise. He's like, I'll take the house, but not the raise. I'm like, that's dumb (laughs) because this guy's rich and you should just also have more money. So you can live in your own home. Right. And then creepy uncle, rich guy doesn't take over your family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. And then, and also then he never when, sees the son yeah. again. When what? he and Isabel get married, he's like, I will never be a rich man. And I was like, because you didn't take the raise. <laughs> I know. You, doing? you hate money. You won't take it. But yeah. But also you have grave. a wife and a family. Yeah. You're never going to yeah. see your son again. That's weird. Yeah. No. Yeah. He didn't turn out good. That's true. <laughs> so much of it, I feel, with all aspects of the movie, was that they've got way too many characters and not enough time. And so they don't yeah. give us any way to actually develop any kind of understanding of who these people are in the world and any history of their relationships. They had to set up all of the stuff in America and get it out of the way. And then it had to jump to Spain and then, again, had to show us a lot or try and get it all set up so that we could see what brought Rigo to New York to be on the bus. It gives up any backstory or I mean I think obviously it's hard with movies to have too many characters but it always bugs me when nobody in the movie has a friend like there were no outside characters it was all family you know it's like yeah that's true you know, I would think that the, at the beginning Oscar Isaac's character having just lost his wife the only thing we're seeing is his session with his therapist instead of like where are all his old college drinking buddies where are his parents those are the people that are gonna keep you from shooting yourself in front of your therapist you know i mean like Mm -hmm. that kind of thing and then the same thing in spain isabel was one of four sisters yeah you know it's like well she must have a big loving family where are they in all of this and what is javier's background does he have like parents all the people at the olive orchard love him and he has a big mouth and he tells stories and makes people laugh when Mm -hmm. they have all stepped up when he was starting to struggle but then again it was already a two-hour long movie and you're trying to tell 12 people's stories to begin with so how do you do i don't know if dan could do that though because it's all about like dramatic plot twists and when you see the people in couples laughing i guess they're doing banter but in a way that just seems very false like when abby's so excited about her thesis and then you just see oscar isaac and he's just like looking at her like a puppy dog he's like you're so much smarter than me he's just creepy all the time and she finally relents but he can't just be chill right and he had great parents his parents were amazing but yeah he still seemed to complain about them a lot yeah well in the moment the moment that she revealed what her thesis was and then she ran off to write it he like turned around. He's like, okay. And his frat buddies lifted him up to do a keg stand. So it's like she interrupted the keg stand to tell him the big news. Oh and then he's like, okay, well, let's get back to it. And it's like, what is going on in this world? But also, yeah, when she's reading him the thesis and then they start making out and they just throw all the papers around. <laughs> oh, the yeah. I like that part right. too. Yeah. No. Com- Newly minted thesis. I mean, exactly. that's what I do. Yeah. I, I wrote this. <laughs> I never would have watched it, but maybe it needed to be a five-season NBC show. Yeah, that, yeah. That brought all these worlds together and, and had the space to expand it. And throughout the series of This Is Us, the big thing was that every episode ended with a, oh, shit, kind of a twist. You know, where uh-huh. like, you know, like you suddenly realize that the neighbor across the street is actually somebody. You know, like, and like you have to tune in the next day to figure out for the next episode to find out what this twist means. I mean, that's clearly his narrative style. It was very creepy in the beginning when Oscar Isaac is with Annette Benning as the therapist, and Samuel Jackson is weirdly narrating. 
-hmm. (laughs) It's the whole idea is like, you don't know who the heroes are in your life. The camera like focuses in on Annette Bening and Samuel Jackson's like, ooh, who's this? Maybe this is the hero. But it was in like a really (laughs) leering, creepy way. And also the girl in Spain, it was something like, yeah, she had six sisters and she was considered the fourth prettiest. That is just... Weird. I did feel like they also threw in things where they talked about fuck, you know, like, and then he tried to fuck her. Mm. Or there was like another part where Oscar Isaac talked about trying to jerk off to his therapist. And I felt like they just tried to throw these extra little things to just give it like a little grittiness. Uh But Mm -hmm. they were just sort of. You're just like, no, I didn't want to. Yeah. No, hear that. I do want to say like for all of the (laughs) stupidity of it, when the mother is dying, I was sitting on the couch. Balling. Me too. Aww. Me and too. And my child was sitting next to me, and he was like, "What is wrong with you?" And I, <laughs> and also like the little boy Rodrigo, I kept looking at my little boy with brown hair and big brown eyes. Oh yeah, you know. And I kept he looks like, like Rodrigo. hugging Chet, mm. and he was like, "Leave me alone." <laughs> <laughs> I fell for it completely. I cried like, as well. Cheers. I totally cried. I didn't. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> You're a stone. I am a stone. I am a stone. Rigo had a college girlfriend before he encountered Dylan. We spent so much time with her again, where yeah. it's like all these other characters that we hardly get to know anything of their backstory. I mean, I would love to know what Jean Smart spent her life doing. But instead, we very much had multiple scenes with her and what ends up being her pulling a really horrible April Fool's joke on him. Sociopath. That, that she was, was pregnant. Clearly the yeah. point was mm-hmm. to make, but it's like, well, how did Rico even end up with this woman to begin with? We didn't have any backstory of how they matter, that kind of a thing. The first time you spend an evening with this person, you would realize that this isn't the one for me, knowing who he was and where he came from. That Like, why would he have given her the time of day? And then the other thing, the narrator is the granddaughter, and she says that in a flashback to showing when the mother was speaking the last time she saw Rigo before he went back to America, the narrator says, what Isabel said to Rigo needs no translation. And then suddenly the character who's been speaking Spanish the whole time starts <laughs> yes, speaking with English. With an accent. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah, <laughs> I like, noticed that too. Wait a Shouldn't she just say <laughs> in Spanish, te amo, and we all understand that that needs no translation. And But instead she gave a multiple paragraph loving speech in English. <laughs> I thought she was going to say yes. the lyrics from the Bob Dylan song. Oh, there I was, was a, waiting oh, for her yeah, to say right, that. Right. We must mention this Bob Dylan song that figures... Yep. Hugely. And, and maybe if you're a fan of that song or album, this movie's going to land a little better oh, sure, with you. Sure. Well, I do like that song. You like I the do song? Like that okay. album. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I like Bob Dylan. I guess I don't know that. It was a little nod to Lewin Davis for me, so mm. I liked mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. That song figures heavily in it. And now I can't remember what it is. Dylan, the daughter, Abby and Will's daughter, Dylan, is in a band too, and she has a beautiful singing voice but then it switches into a painful like punk rock that was not good for me you can't just scream you know that doesn't make it a good Mm -hmm. punk rock screaming voice so that was a little (laughs) cringy i thought it is funny with movies like that though because when i'm watching them i totally fall you know because i was like wow, that unreliable narrator thesis, like maybe that's really brilliant. Or Mm -hmm. like when she does the punk cover, I was like, maybe that is a really good punk cover. I totally like get sucked into the the feeling of it. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing I used to always feel like when I watched Sherlock where I'd be like, oh my God, Sherlock is brilliant. But then afterwards, it's like somebody was making up the story as they went along. Mm -hmm. And then when you say it out loud mm-hmm. in the morning, you're like, wow, that was not deep. There's certain movies, not to be controversial, but I don't know if you have feelings about the movie Magnolia. Have you ever seen Magnolia? Paul Thomas Anderson. I, I saw love, it in the movie theater. I a long Paul time Thomas ago. Paul Thomas Anderson, but I cannot stand that movie. It's, it's Tom awful. Cruise, right? Yeah. As a like yeah. motivational. But a similar thing where it's like, I'm going to take 15 really great actors and come up with a way that all of their lives twist together Mm -hmm. in a certain way there's certain times you can be like oh yeah circumstance that those two people have a connection but when all 15 characters who all seem to be in completely separate worlds and suddenly they all all of their lives are intertwined and it kept reminding me this movie kept bringing me back to how much i like oh i hated it it's like love actually right we get all the different actors and it's just like so superficial and dumb Mm -hmm. i mean does this ever work tons of famous actors their lives 
Isn't twist the usual together. suspects kind of maybe bad? there must be some good yeah, examples of it. But I loved no. it when I saw it. But yeah. also I was seventeen, yeah. so maybe right. The usual suspects is an example of an unreliable narrator, and I think that the movie needed to give us an example. You know, take some great work of literature that depends on an unreliable narrator and put it out there for us so that we're like, oh, okay, now I understand as an example what you're talking about. And then I can think about, is life itself that same <laughs> way? But instead it just, the concept was never explained in a way that made it make any sense or play any real role other than... It just said it to you over and over and right. then you're supposed to believe it. And also there was heavy use of voiceover in this movie, which is usually a sign of lazy storytelling where you're just telling... You're not showing mm-hmm. what happened. Mm-hmm. Are we ready to rate? Oh, right. Give combs. Any other moments anyone wants to bring up? Well, I mean, again, it's such a great cast, and I think everybody such is a doing great cast. what they can with what they're given. Early on there, we get all kinds of good Oscar Isaac stuff. I mean, talking about Antonio Banderas, I mean, like, to me, it's like Oscar is kind of the, the beloved godchild. My feelings towards yeah. Antonio Banderas back in the 90s, you know, he first showed up in Madonna's Truth or Dare, I think is when he first came to prominence in America. And then watching his career evolve was very much like, oh, this is somebody really unique and interesting and talented. The smoldering yes. um, element that they bring to what they do, I feel like Oscar is now taken over that role. There was definitely some smolder. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he is kind of a new Antonio Banderas and a little bit. A more talented, trained actor than Antonio would have been. Yeah. Do we want to talk about Oscar Isaac's performance at all? Yeah, let's. You know, it must be disappointing as an actor if you sign up for a movie like this. A lot of hype. A lot of people are real excited about it. And you probably only know what's on your pages to do. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes out, it's not necessarily good and it's really not your. Mm -hmm. You had nothing to do with the final product. Mm -hmm. But he plays someone who's just like losing his mind and has this mental breakdown, which I wonder if as an actor, like you want to do that. But it was a bit much. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I thought his performance was good, although kind of stalkery and and then over the top with the breakdown. Well, in the way that we just didn't know any of his backstory. He's just doing what's on the page and doing it well, but you can't bring anything more to it than what you're given. I mean, to me, this I would bet this screenplay read because of the twist. It's like, oh, there's a lot here. But then when you actually start breaking it down and creating it, you realize that there isn't much there. But I mean, I could see, you know, for him to look at what he was given as far as those scenes, kind of losing it in the coffee shop before he goes to his therapy session. It's incredibly emotional, and we don't really have any understanding at that point of what he's carrying. Once you find out what it is, it's like, oh, okay, yes, that's exactly how that person would behave in a Starbucks. I mean, I felt like he really leaned into the creepy part of their courtship, and I was Mm -hmm. like, good for you. Like, you don't have to just be the dreamy lover. You can Mm -hmm. be a little creepy, and that's okay. I kept thinking his character must be an only child because Mm. he just had this sort of singular way of looking at everything in a way Mm. that... Mm-hmm. My only child can be like, well, of course, I love you completely, and there's nothing else to it. Like, that's mm-hmm. what's going to happen. That's it. When I ask you out, it's going to be the most important day of my life mm-hmm. and probably of yours. And and then the way I saw how his parents were, I was like, he's definitely an only child. Yeah, yeah definitely. A New York lonely boy. Yeah, just like Lewin Davis. Yeah. I think Lewin Davis, as far as I know, is like the movie that, Oscar Isaac has done the most in. Like, has he had another chance? I don't know if he's had quite a leading role in a movie. I only started the TV show Scenes from a Marriage, which is like an HBO thing. um, Oh, yeah. Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain. And it was one of those times where we were changing our streaming services. And so I only watched the first episode of it. But I kind of feel like there's a lot there that probably is worthwhile. But yeah, when you say that, a movie where he plays the lead and carries it, I don't know if there is... I mean, again, there's so many of his films that we haven't seen, so maybe that it's out there. And I know he's a part of the Marvel world as well, and I don't see Marvel things, and so I have no idea. I don't even know what he is in Marvel. Well, he had his own Marvel series, Moonlight. When you get roped into Star Wars and Marvel, it does take away from your time to do the other independent movies and movies we, we might like more. I will say that, like Adam Driver, he is a really good... Saturday Night Live host. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I meant to go back and watch some of that. He was game and charming, and his monologue is really cute. What does he talk about? Being short? 
well, he talks about being a little kid. He shows a home movie from when he's a kid. He made like this action movie short that's kind of hilariously <laughs> bad with like a lot of action. He kind of made it into obviously the writers helped him do this, but made it into really about how, you know, when you're a kid and you're sort of dreaming of what your future is, you don't really expect all of your dreams to come true, but stick with it, be a weirdo and things will work out for you. It really sounds cute. vaguely familiar. Yeah. And maybe I saw yeah, it. Yeah, it's a good one. He's good. All right, let's rate. Okay, I'm going to go with my rating of the movie. I'm going to go with two and a half combs, Mm -hmm. which I think is pretty generous. Mm -hmm. You could go lower. Maybe I would have gone three because I cried, Mm -hmm. but knocking off 0.5 because of the airplane thing. (laughs) Wait, I can't. Are we five stars or four stars? Five. Five Five. Five. combs, yeah. Five combs. I'm going to go with two and a half, too, I think. Mm-hmm. No, you know what? I'm going to give it. No, I'm going to go with two and a half. You're right. right Were you going to go up or down there? I was going to go up. Okay. Because of the crying. Yeah. yeah. I'm a sucker for that. But you're right. It was totally manipulative. I didn't have a problem with the airplane thing, but I just thought the whole <laughs> tenor of the movie and even the pacing was weird because mm-hmm. at the end, I just kept thinking they spent way too much time with Olivia Wilde and Oscar Isaac, all of those flashbacks they have to when they're in college, mm-hmm. we didn't really need mm-hmm. that. They didn't need to walk through that story at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. I feel like they just had it in the can and they were like, well, I guess we have to use it because right. you didn't need it to tell the story. They could have used that time to tell more of the other story. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, two and a half. I'm going to go for a straight two combs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't have a history of rating the movies but i kind of feel like two and a half is around a c i'm gonna give a c minus i guess yeah and also just more gene smart like why yeah yeah more mandy patinkin yeah. what were they thinking no, a yeah, lot there's of hardly talent. any there's yeah. this whole part small parts yeah mm-hmm. when they're walking when olivia wilde and oscar isaac are walking away from their house after they eat brunch yeah. and mandy patinkin's character is like staring down at them through the window and mm-hmm. i was like is there gonna be a little sidebar about him mm-hmm. and then there wasn't Nothing. yeah <laughs> Have either of you read Molly Shannon's autobiography? Oh, yeah. Do you remember her father's dying words? It was small parts. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> then you're like still in the movie. And yeah. I just saw something with her in a very small part. A She's movie a I watched. Orchid. A movie I watched on the plane recently called Promising Young Woman, which I oh, recommend. Yeah. Yeah. And she's in that as a That's small right. part. And That's that was right. her like that. dad's dying words to small parts. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of small parts for big actors mm-hmm. in life itself. So where yeah. are we going from here? <laughs> what do you think? I'm going to note that Barbie is back at the Riverview. Oh, oh is, is right? it? Yeah. Oh, Just a little public service announcement yes. because it was there for a few weeks. Then Oppenheimer was there for like one week. Yeah. And no now one cared. that's exactly what I want yeah. to happen. Yeah. It's well, at weird times news. like Friday at 1.50. But, you know, sure. I hope people news. still go and I would go again if anyone yeah, wants to. Everyone's just seen it once at this point. I've, I've seen it seen three it times. Twice. Oh my oh. goodness! <laughs> Second time was even better yeah, than the first no, time. Yeah, no. All we I talked felt... about was we got to go back, but it just yeah. hasn't worked out. It's okay. Wise, it's but back. Knowing that it's there. Ferrari is coming out on Christmas Day. Oh, oh. sure. And, uh, Hugh Jackman is in it. And we just found out he's getting divorced. I know. Who's he married to? A woman who's like 15 years older than him. Yeah, Deb, they've been together Deb. forever. I don't think yeah. she's in oh. the industry. She is. Oh, is they she? met on the set of a, I went down a rabbit hole yesterday. They met <laughs> on the set of an Australian soap opera, oh, like obviously, because that's how all Australian actors get their right. start. Oh. And but he was like a those, baby. Like, Rob Lowe couples where yeah. you're like, oh, they've been together forever and it makes you feel good. Yeah, <laughs> but now they're not. And she's older than him. Good luck to her and him. Yeah, he's busy. He's the greatest showman. <laughs> I still haven't seen that one. <laughs> but all kids, kids like it. All it. kids yeah. love it. Yeah. There's some good songs in it. I recommend. Thank yeah. you to Craig Thank you for, for being our guest. I hope you fun. can be our guest again. Yeah. We've got some thinking to do. That's right. I, we don't have anything really on deck, but this is kind of fun being sort of liberated from... Yeah, you know, we still haven't done season five of Girls, and I would <laughs> be okay with going oh, back to that. Yeah, I'd have to watch it again. And there's a sixth season as well. Oh, I don't think I can take it's it. It's too much. We don't have to do it. No, we only well, have to do I what think... we want. Okay, well, we'll think about it. All right, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.